need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Natureback podcast, where we speak with investors and entrepreneurs about the green future. Today, I'm meeting in Bangkok, uh, John Fall from Atlas Capital. John, tell a little bit about background story of Atlas Capital. How did you guys uh, set up the venture? Sure. So um, I've started Atlas Capital two years ago, um, based in Southeast Asia for the past uh, 10 years. Uh, after exiting uh, my first baby, my first startup, I had a chance to um, to really think, okay, what's what's next? What, what do I really care about? Uh, and through the collisions of several people that I've met that were very uh, meaningful uh, interactions, connections, discussions, uh, we, we got to realize that it was the right time for uh, finance to collide with uh, hard tech uh, and to look at hard problems like climate change and adaptation. Um, so it's, uh, it's how Atlas got to emerge out of the ground during that COVID period. Um, and yeah, we've been um, doing a very small first fund, uh, which was basically a bunch of SPVs together, investing in US companies. Um, initially it was just my money and then a few of my friends joined in. Uh, and now we're looking uh, to do a little bit larger fund uh, to be able to do more deals. Uh, but in the meantime, we're trying to build an ecosystem of climate technology in Southeast Asia. Um, because it's a, it's a very new category for this region, but it's also one of the regions where this can be uh, the most meaningful, right? Um, biodiversity in the region, and it's also one of the regions that will be the most impacted by climate change. So it's a very relevant narrative here. And also adaptation is probably something uh, this region can teach to the other parts of the world. You know, the, the temperatures outside are such that... Uh, for a Nordic person like me, it's <laughs> relatively challenging to to live with a in a climate like this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, this aircon is running all the time here, so this is a form of adaptation. But um, uh, when when we think about adaptation, there's a lot more that the region isn't prepared, right? Uh, an example is last month we had uh, some of the largest recorded weather event in the history. Uh, we had a heat wave with a uh, nearly 52 degrees Celsius of perceived heat, 52, right? We are in the middle of the Sahara Desert, right? Uh, and so that was like in May, right? So the population had to first realize that it's, it's, it's going to happen. 
maybe more frequently mm. on the years uh, to come. Uh, but also, what are the ways to adapt to this, right? So, of course, there is drought, right? Of course, there is uh, climate, uh, you know, air cons. Mm. <laughs> what else, right? And so, so, so it's one of the regions that is going to be facing uh, a lot more weather events. It, it's forecasted. It's admitted. Now, what do we do for that? How do we continue living? How do we protect health? How do we protect habitations? How do we protect cities? But also, how do we protect the nature, right? Our agricultural assets, food productions, etc. There's a lot of money to be lost. Uh, but also, I believe, uh, and I think with Atlas Capital and my partners, we all believe together that there's a lot of money to be made helping all these uh, infrastructure to adapt to climate change as well. Exactly. When the world is changing, there is a big opportunity for entrepreneurs and investors also. Absolutely. Uh, the other part is, of course, the rising sea levels. I mean, most of uh, Bangkok will be underwater sooner than people actually realize. Yeah. Probably this part where we're sitting uh, too. <laughs> so uh, kind of uh, building dams, uh, what Poland has been doing through centuries probably is probably one of the solutions, but there must be other solutions too. Yeah. Holland is a is a very inspiring uh, country for Thais, but also also for Indonesians and Vietnamese. In fact, we hear that Bangkok will be underwater, but Ho Chi Minh City and Jakarta are going to be underwater in the same time, or probably faster as well. Uh, so it's very interesting. If you Google this, you can see the graphs and, and the actual maps. Um, and so it, they are very much in the same situation. In fact, uh, Jakarta is being moved. The capital of Indonesia is being moved 100 kilometers away to create a new capital from scratch right now to be able to adapt to this climate change effect of you know sea rising. So so it's not just Bangkok. It's it's uh, it's three of the mega cities in the region. Uh and and of course uh you can actually already see this. So it's not like the sea is coming, you know, and, and like, a, like a water wall type of moving. It's more episodes, right? So twice, three, three, four times a year, you can see this street is flooded, right? It's just happening for one day, two, three days, right? And then the water get back and then there's another flood, but it, it's just, it's just episodes, right? What is um, the actual sea rise uh, that we are observing here? is the frequency of these episodes increasing. And that's what's damaging. Right? It's not if the water was here all the time, we just build on top of it, right? Or we build floating houses, right? It's fine. The issue is when it's not. So it's kind of lets you re think that you can just build a house here and then the water comes. <laughs> so, so, and it's a bit disturbing because you, you're not sure if you should stay or if you should leave, right? That's like that boiling frog type of situation where you don't really realize the heat is, is heating up, right? But it is, right? And so that, that's, that's the boiling frog situation, right? So here you have an episode of, of sea rise coming in for one or two days. If, oh, it's fine. You know, you, know sti you still buy a new house or you still build a new condo. And that's what we're seeing in, 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 in Oshimin City, Jakarta and Bangkok, right? Even though the frequency of sea rising and floods episodes is going to increase, we still see a lot of buildings, right? You can, you were here the past few days, right? It's how many buildings can you see, right? 
And so I think the really interesting opportunity here is how do we make those buildings flood proof, right? How do we make the actual structure to be resilient to floods, to sea rise? So even if there's, you know, more frequencies of, of those weather events and floods, how can those buildings still exist? Right. Uh, so there's, 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 there's a lot of concepts uh, that, that will emerge. I'm pretty sure at some point we'll see bridges between buildings, you know, or maybe what we see today. I, I saw in one of the one of the sky rises a bridge between. Yes, for example, but also simply the BTS. Right. Mm. Um, yeah. We have very strong infrastructure. Thanks you know, to, to the, the BTS company, BTS group. They have built very strong infrastructure and that doesn't exist in Oshimin City for example, right? So you have that high rise um, infrastructure where people can, there's walkway everywhere, right? Mm. So that's maybe how this thing gonna evolve, right? Having those those walkway that actually um, flood proof, right? When it's flooding, exactly. everybody takes the BTS, no more car. Even better for the pollution, no traffic jam, <laughs> right? So that's some form of adaptation that we mm. can see in those countries. And it's very interesting to observe. Do you see, I mean, is it only concepts or do you see already uh, startups emerging to work on the solutions? Unfortunately, not as much. Um, I think, I think the, the, the hype, you know, we're still talking a lot about crypto here. We're still talking about e-commerce and fintech, right? Um, because, you know, we don't know if there is money in, in climate, right? It's not like in the US or in Europe where very obvious, very clear that there's a lot of dry powder, a lot of venture capitals throwing money into climate tech. Here there's none, right? We were actually, we were the first one to talk about this stuff two years ago. Uh, so now there's a few more players that are, you know, coming in and starting to, you know, step by step. Oh yeah, maybe we do tech and crypto, but also sustainability, right? We start to see conglomerates jumping in and say, start to say, oh, we actually going to invest in Southeast Asia. But uh, all those conglomerates have been heavily investing in US and Europe for the past 10 years already. Mm. And so for us, what we see is uh, it's going to take time for this actually on the market to build up in Southeast Asia, right? It's going to take a few years, probably five, five plus years to be something with enough deals uh, but in the meantime, there's two opportunities. Number one uh, is to invest in U.S. or European companies and help them to expand here because we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Some solutions that are highly, you know, scalable, engineered, checked, uh, and scientifically checked uh, are ready to be deployed here. Exactly. So that's direct impact you can do. And we really believe in that. Transfer. And the second thing is venture building, right? Uh, so, so working with conglomerates, et cetera, to venture build solutions um, that uh, could be really commercialized uh, very quickly here. So I think these are the immediate opportunity for this market, uh, waiting for a good batch of founders locally to start to realize this is the next big thing. Mm. Uh, so this is kind of where, where we, we've been playing as well. Exactly. The, uh, I think the technology transfer is a really interesting thing. And you guys have been investing in a few U.S. companies so far. You're already taking them here or taking the technologies here or 
Well, we're a very small firm, you know, it's like uh, two guys and uh, mm. <laughs> a bunch of analysts uh, with, uh, you know, not much resources. Mm. Um, but I think the network we have is incredible. Uh, I think between uh, our advisors uh, and between of uh, the people that I've had the chance to talk with during my my research for my book, uh, we have a lot of, of, of connections. And, and yes, indeed, we, 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 we see... Um, a lot of interesting innovations. Uh, and since I've been here in this market for the past 10 years, I, I got the chance to work with some conglomerates, got the chance to work with, uh, to have some, some big families to support uh, my businesses. And so now it's all about reconnecting the dots, but not on e-commerce anymore, on this climate tech adaptation journey, right? I think this transfer thing has a huge potential because this is the region which is often seen as the most or the first hit by the climate change. And we have a lot of companies, for example, in Northern Europe, uh, building climate uh, solutions, which, uh, you know, in the countries which actually benefit from climate change. Mm. Uh, however, weird is to say that, but there are a few Few, few Nordic countries who actually will be benefiting from climate change when the rest of the world is, uh, you know, going down. Yeah. Yeah, so exactly. So this is a paradox we mm. observe, right? Um, like it is like clean air, clean water, uh, you know, all these floating farms, all this stuff is invented in, in markets that don't really need it. Like the actually marginal efficiency increase that these products will bring to this market in Europe is insignificant, right? And, and, but that technology behind it is incredible, right? This is years and years of, of government money to develop those patents, right? To create those engineers, those scientists, right? That Southeast Asia will just never have, mm. right? It, it, it's, it's probably 30 years, 50 years of government investments uh, subsidies, etc., to create those scientists to be able to come up with this stuff, right? Um, but actually, the, the actual market might not be in Europe, might be in the emerging market, it might be specifically and very often in Southeast Asia, and that's that's what we see, that's what we believe in. So, so one of our advisor and partner uh, uh, is actually based in, in Vancouver, Kuka, and, and she's she's been uh, she's been. Uh, looking at all these innovations, you know, clean air, clean water in Canada, which have the cleanest air and the cleanest water, right? But she's Thai. And then she connects to that. Like, Why is this thing not in my hometown, in my home country, where mm. the pollution is so bad, where the water is so bad, right? And so that's where all these things came in. And we thought there's, a, there's an actual very unique mandate here that can have a lot of impact. And so, so that's, that's where we decided to team up together. Uh, and, and we think what we do makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, you know, we're very young. We're emerging fund managers. You know, we don't have a uh, multi-billion dollar uh, balance sheet behind us. Next, uh, next fund, next fund. But we know some companies who does, and that's, mm. that's why we're trying to connect with them and, and work together to achieve that goal now. Uh, I think the call here to all the climate tech uh, founders listening is to check out the Southeast Asian markets because they could be really good market uh, for your for your solutions. Absolutely. E even though maybe the average uh, GDP per person is somewhat lower than in uh, Northern Europe, but 
it may, would make for your solutions there would be so much more demand here. Absolutely, and in fact, um, we've got a good group of investors who and conglomerates who believe the same, and they are eager. Um, to welcome these solutions. Uh, so last month, uh, we created a coalition with more than 20 of these conglomerates. Uh, and all these conglomerates, they have venture investment arms uh, and these family offices, they also invest. Uh, so they're really eager to bring those innovations here. So together with those 20 conglomerates, they committed 1.2 billion US dollar, right? Across all their different corporate venture capital funds. So there's real money here that is ready to be invested in solutions if they are relevant for them, mm. right? And so, so with that firepower, I think showcasing that this exists, I think this should be really attracting a lot of companies. And so uh, through this uh, platform, which we've called the Southeast Asian Climate Tech Coalition, we're aiming to facilitate that. Uh, in fact, uh, we're aiming to bring more and more of these delegations to make that connection. Uh, we are going to announce very soon uh, a big campaign uh, to, to really showcase those innovations who successfully uh, enter this market thanks to the coalition. And we are opening a Slack group where all these startups can join, apply, and instantly connect to those 20 conglomerates. Uh, plus, there's nearly another 100 investors in that group. Uh, and so that's invitation only. Because we all we really want a quality uh, funded company with TLR maybe after three three to six uh, to that are actually commercializable to be able to join. But this is something we kicked out. So check out the Southeast Asia Climate Tech Coalition. Good. We will add the links to the show notes for listeners to check out. Um, companies uh, in the climate tech scene. What kind of um, maybe subcategories or, as you said, the fund, fund itself is relatively small these days. So probably the relatively early stage companies should uh, turn to Atlas Capital, right? So there's, uh, there's what the market likes, there's the hypes, and it's what, what we like, <laughs> right? So, so of course, uh, what, what's the hype is about today? I'm not going to get into generative AI. Yes, right? <laughs> please uh, don't. We, we're going to get simply into what we look at, you know, climate tech here. Um, I think there's a lot of hype uh, about EV mobility, right? Uh, Southeast Asia have the biggest amount of motorbikes in the world, right? Uh, you, you will go to Ho Chi Minh City one day, I hope, and you will be stunned to see how many motorbikes there is. It's insane, right? Uh, so what about this transition to, you know, no carbon? Right, so EV electric vehicles, it's a it's it's a big one, but not only. I think uh, there's a lot of discussions around hydrogen because EV actually requires uh, a lot of uh, uh, nickel, lithium, cobalt, other very expensive rare earth material, and 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 the life uh, of these batteries is very short. So what do you do with this? Right, so um, it's not something that people realize yet. You know, a lot of investments is into EV right now, but for Atlas Capital, we look at that. We see we see that this is a short fix, right? So longer fix for us is hydrogen, uh, but also recycling and repurposing of these batteries. We really believe in that. So we, in fact, we've made a one of our first investments, small investment into a, a company that is doing EV batteries recycling. 
Uh, and so this, this company is based in San Francisco, uh, but they're eager to tap into the Southeast Asian market. And so right now we're working to bring this company by working with a few conglomerates that could be funding their first factory here in Southeast Asia together. So that's one of the example of a uh, sector that we are interested in. Uh, it's, it's what we call inevitable, right? Uh, I think the, the, the largest FDI right now in Southeast Asia is EV. Mm -hmm. It's insane. Right. So, so you're really going to see probably 15 to 20% of the cars next 10 years in Southeast Asia to be EVs. Right. So what do you do with those batteries? Can repurpose them, plug them into residential commercial buildings, do home energy storage, plug that with solar panel. Boom. You got an incredible grid efficiency uh, improvement here. Right. Another uh, aspect um, that I think is capital for Southeast Asia. And we see a lot of hype but also a lot of investors and conglomerates uh, that are really deploying capital into that space is agriculture. So not like India, uh, which had their industrial revolution, Southeast Asia just didn't have it, right? So you, you, you see in, you, you're eating rice probably from, from, from Indonesia or Thailand, and it's really done like 50 years ago or 100 years ago, right? So there is that double leapfrog opportunity in Southeast Asia to do not only net zero agriculture, but also just industrialize it. So you go from like manual agriculture to industrial and net zero together. Uh, and so there's a lot of conglomerates, very powerful Fortune 500 companies in that region uh, that are, you know, agri-tech conglomerates. And they're heavily looking at this. Uh, so this is something we really believe in. And partially because it's so connected with the pollution in our cities. In fact, um, probably 60% of the, the PM 2.5, the actual pollutions that we can observe in Vietnam, Thailand, Laos, Myanmar, Cambodia, and Singapore included, uh, is that haze from the burning of that 100 years old agriculture tradition of burning the crops. Right? So by, by modernizing the agriculture, you can actually reduce the burns and then reduce the pollution. And this pollution is not a CO2 climate change directly, but it's, it's a really nefast factor that is really affecting these cities. And that is having impact on the migrations of those people. Uh, so, so, so it's something very important as well. Uh, and it's contributing to decarbonizing those industries if we can make it right. Right. So I think those two are very, very uh, important for the region. And, and, uh, and it's something that we, we have a lot of partners in the coalition who are looking in. And lastly, of course, um, you know, everything about carbon capture, etc., is very high. Uh, but to be honest, for Southeast Asia, we don't see that really coming. Uh, even though a government, uh, you know, are going to invest into carbon capture solutions, uh, you know, the direct air capture, et cetera, are very expensive. And if the energy produced to run those machines is gas or coal, doesn't make any sense, right? As, as of today, uh, in Southeast Asia, 70% to 80% for some countries of the actual energy produce is from coal or gas. So direct air capture doesn't make any sense, right? It only makes sense if you have hydro 
power or geothermal power, uh, which we don't have here, or nuclear power, yeah. which we could have, mm -hmm. but somehow it's not, it's not, it's not a fun, famous thing here for now. Uh, so, so I don't, I don't bet heavily on this at all. Now, one of the things I'm quite bullish on, uh, and with Atlas, we're looking at venture build one companies in that space is blue carbon. Okay. So carbon capture using the ocean, which Southeast Asia have a lot of space for this, right? So, so we're looking at uh, seaweed uh, for carbon capture, which actually absorbs 35 times more carbon than the tree, right? Wow. Uh, so, so it's an interesting space for such a marine region, mm -hmm. which is Southeast Asia with so many islands, so many coastal uh, um, opportunities to leverage on. Absolutely. The EV is, of course, the space which in uh, Europe and uh, North America is somewhat uh, declining because so much of venture money was thrown at it. And uh, when they basically the tap was closed last year, then there's a lot of companies in trouble these days because there's just too, too many, of, especially the e-mobility, kind of the micro-mobility level companies. Uh, yeah, I don't see Bangkok going that way. There is just no roads for scooters. <laughs> Observing as an outsider. There, 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 there is. Uh, I, think, I think the bigger tsunami uh, that Bangkok is going to be a victim, as well as Indonesia and, and Vietnam, Shimin City is is the Chinese EV tsunami, <laughs> right? So China have been planning for this for more than ten years, right? Uh, building all these infrastructure, uh, one bed one road initiative, uh, Eastern Corridor to actually distribute all these cars, uh, and and they are really winning this, right? So in Southeast Asia. Um, I would I, I would really see seventy percent of the EVs next ten years to be Chinese, um, and and because you know China have overproduced already those EVs, you you can start to see symmetries of EVs in China right now. So they really need to quickly sell those two guys here, um, and, and so that's 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 really where uh, the EV market is going to be. So you can see very large deals. Uh, you know, foreign direct, direct investments are mainly driven by those. So, for example, BYD, the, the, the Chinese Tesla, uh, invited, uh, invaded Thailand uh, last year with a joint venture with a, a very large conglomerate here, which we're working with. Um, and, and, you know, it, it is only going to be like two or three players really dominating that market in Indonesia, Vietnam and Thailand. And so BYD will be one of them for sure. Um, so, so that's, that's where we see the EV market. And for us, we just can't play with that, right? It's just too big, right? We're talking about, you know, 10 billion US dollar type of deals. Um, and, and, and there's no infrastructure, um, here. It's just going to be sales, right? What we see is interesting for play. Hence, as a result is the infrastructure of that EV market. Right. So charging stations, recycling of the batteries, maintenance of the cars. Right. So these are three things you can do. Um, so that that's the only space that is less for investors like us. <laughs> um, but looking at 
developments, charging station, it, it, it's, it's a lot of infrastructure. So a lot of oil and gas companies in the region, in Singapore, in Indonesia, uh, are jumping on this to build that infrastructure. Uh, and I'm sure there is a lot of money that will be made on that. Absolutely. Uh, the, in the, for the startups, I mean, building infrastructure is typically not the startup thing to do. There's not, you know, not too much of innovation to putting up a station to charge something. Of course, there is also venture money going in and, and, you know, kind of startups. There's probably more, more startup I think is probably to work on the technologies for recycling, uh, which is also probably a, you know, massive opportunity. You said you have made an investment in that field, right? Yep. Yeah, so so Posh Robotics is the name of the company. You can check them out on our website, and um, and this is a good example of a truly global effort resumed into one team. The founder is Singaporean from Southeast Asia, but he went to Stanford to do his PhD in robotics and raised money in San Francisco, and now is looking to build back infrastructure and access to this market in Southeast Asia. Right, so you truly see that that transaction, right? That, that two way. Um, and, and I, I think this is really what we want to see more, mm. right? We want to see very smart, resilient founders tapping into where the resources are to then impact positively the actual region. Right. Mm. So, so that's, um, that, that's something we, we, we really believe in. Uh, and, and again, it's just a matter of how much impact you can make with your limited lifetime. Right. Uh, so, so I think these guys really get it. And so that's why we, we, we're really eager to continue helping them uh, to connect with uh, potential partners, clients and investors here in this region. Looking forward, uh, I mean, you were speaking a little bit about the future already, plans of different launches, but for Atlas Capital, what's, what are the kind of next big milestones you're writing in your, in your pitch deck? <laughs> so... Um, there's a few. I think, firstly, the coalition. Um, we, we started that a month ago. Uh, we have 400 members now, uh, but we really want to have quality conglomerates that are ready to be, you know, facilitating and supporting the emergence of that climate tech ecosystem in the region to join us. So. Our job is to find bankable innovations in Europe or in the US, and that's one of my partner and she's based there. <laughs> mm. And my job here is to connect with more conglomerates here to get them to join the coalition. Um, uh, and so, so, so that's, that's something that we, we want to scale. We want to have 1000 members, uh, and we want to keep these 70% of family offices and conglomerate investors in that group. So 30% of, of founders are really benefiting from these connections, you know, uh, we boom, get them to talk to $1.5 billion, you know, within a day, if they come here, this is like, this is a great opportunity. Absolutely. So we're going to continue facilitating events with that coalition. And we're looking to get that coalition to be sustainable by itself, by, you know, having a few revenue streams. So we don't have to worry. We have a full-time team taking care of that coalition. So that's for next six months. Now, uh, with Atlas Nano Fund 1, uh, we're looking to continue growing uh, this small fund so we can do quick seed stage, pre-seed, seed deals, you know, 100K-ish uh, for each deal. So we're looking to extend that to, an to another 1 million US so we can do another 10 deals. Uh, and this is like yesterday. 
right? So, so we're doing that right now. Um, uh, and, and it's because it's just too bad to see so many of these opportunities and not be able to, you know, even catch some of them. Right. Um, and, and, and the, the, the larger game for us, and that, that's really what we're, what we're doing. That's a real answer of your question is to work with, uh, five key conglomerates in the region, uh, to help them to source those innovations in the U S and Europe. Uh, and, uh, so they can actually join us as a LP for our larger fund, right? So that's what we are working on, looking to structure a larger fund, uh, around $25 million to be able to do 40 investments, uh, 70% in the U S Europe, another 30% here in Southeast Asia. And so we're working with three conglomerates at the moment, we're looking for a few more, uh, and hopefully uh, these will be joining us on the journey to structuring that new fund. Uh, probably next year. We don't know when when the of course uh, when, when the time is right. But but yeah, this is this is this is uh, this is really what we are aiming. And uh, maybe the the last thing, or maybe where we should have start should have started. You know, what makes you passionate about this sector? What makes you to you know jump up in the morning uh, from the bed and go and you know to go and change the world? Well, <laughs> I guess. I've been brainwashed by my parents. My mom was in, you know, like all these hippie, Greenpeace, WWF stuff. And she's, she's been annoying me with that stuff for a very long time. I used to hate it and, and be like, mom, stop. Like, come on, you know? And, and every, every, every weekend I call her, she's still, she's still thinking, oh, you know, we need to save the planet. We're all going to die. This is a very negative, you know? narrative that she's got um, since I'm young and I hated it. So what drives me really is to actually have a positive narrative. Um, I think, I think there's too much negativity about climate change. And of course we should worry, but let's look at the positive. Let's look at those people who are actually moving the needle. Let's look at the people who are actually there to take their money and instead of doing real estate or instead of doing ETFs or, you know, investing in Apple or Microsoft, they get the balls to invest in that solutions that potentially going to save us all. Right. Let's, let's applaud those people. Right. Let's, let's, let's make more videos. Let's, let's talk more, but let's do more podcasts about these people, these investors and these founders who are actually deciding to leave e-commerce to work on climate tech. That's what I care about. That's, that's what excites me, right? And I'm just one of the 1 million people who next 20 years will do that, right? I had the chance to do it a bit early because, you know, I, I've, I spent 10 years running, I mean, eight years running the co uh, first company as a CEO and I had an early exit. Uh, but there's so many other people who could do that, right? So many people who have the position, they're making enough money um, to actually invest in that space, Right. And really shape, design the future they will leave for their kids. Right. There's a lot of people who maybe don't have the money, but they are founders. Instead of starting another, you know, algorithmic trading or another advertising optimization uh, tool with open AI, just look at solving something that, you know, your kids will be proud of. Right. So, so that, that's what excites me. I think, I think I'm a starter. I am the, I'm a firecracker and um, I've, I've got the chance to, Fire crack um, technology e-commerce in ten years ago, and and I think now I want to fire crack this in Southeast Asia, um, 
it didn't come just like that. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a series of events. When I was a student, I, I met incredible scientists uh, and we co-created a makerspace in Paris um, focused on sustainability. We're a bit early in the game. Uh, it was 12 years ago. Uh, but those guys really brainwashed me and, and made me realize the importance of science and hardware, you know, uh, where I was so passionate about software. These guys told me hardware is important and, and they've done so much um, good things since then. Some of the companies that we used to incubate at the time with that makerspace is now a climate tech company worth $100 million, replacing the uh, ink production with bio ink, right? For example, right? Reducing tons and tons of CO2, right? Um, so that was 12 years ago, right? And then lastly, um, I had an accident during COVID uh, where I almost drowned um, doing, uh, doing spearfishing uh, because of a plastic bag. Oh. Uh, and that plastic bag, I think, was from you know, e-commerce delivery. So it was, it was kind of, uh, you know, God sending me a sign. <laughs> Then, okay, you got your small exit now. Uh, you got a little bit of money. Uh, you're going to just spend it on stupid stuff or you're going to actually do something with your time and, and with that money to do a bit, a bit more meaning, right? And so they, they really that before and after moment. I think that was the trigger for me to decide to look uh, and, and spend next 10 years in that space. Uh, so, so far it's been two years, eight years to go. That's my commitment. Um, but let's see, you know, um, I think, I think, <laughs> I think there's a lot, uh, that's going to happen next, next few years. Uh, and I think, I think I'm, I'm maybe, uh, we, we may be a very small group of 400 people now, but you know, just like software has been eating the world, you know, 20 years ago, I think climate tech is going to eat the world um, because that's the, that's the only way forward, right? We need to adapt to it. I only hope that eating the world is here, like, uh, lit not literally, it's the uh, actually kind of opposite. <laughs> it's, I would say climate tech will regenerate the world, mm, right? Exactly. Software have been eating the world, climate tech will regenerate the world. And so everybody is going to be a climate tech entrepreneur, worker, or investor, because simply companies who are not going to be circular net zero, 50 years from now, they're just not going to exist, right? This, this is a paradigm economical shift that is happening. Um, and 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 there is with that, there is that generational wealth that is also transitioning. So that you really have the old world and the new world, right? And, and, and there's just no way we can continue doing what we do, right? You can see on plastic, this is very visible, but the in invisible things, you know, is CO2. And, and there's no way we can continue doing that. So the people who actually get it now, the people who are shaping what's the solution to continue to have a nice lifestyle while being more secular, sustainable, and at zero, they're going to be the next trillioners. It's no wonder Elon Musk is a trillionaire, right? <laughs> uh, it's just the first of 1,000, right? That, that's not my words. This is, you know, the BlackRock CEO words. The next 1,000 billionaires will be in climate tech, right? So 
I think this is kind of the obvious wave coming. Now the question is, what do you do with this? How do you contribute in your own way, in a meaningful way, with the limited resources and limited time that you have as a human being, right? Uh, but I think everybody can contribute, right? And very excitingly, you see a lot of Twitter, Facebook, people getting fired in the US and they're not joining those climate tech company as a worker. Good, right? This is, this is, this is what I'm in, right? Absolutely. It doesn't have to be just founders or investors. It can be workers, talents, students, artists, right? Scientists. Good. That's a great point to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, pleasure to exchange more and having you here yeah. in Southeast Asia with us. Thanks. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Ass. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with ElectroCast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Ravelson. We're the founders of ElectroCast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join ElectroCast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to ElectroCast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast.